Welcome, friends, to the True Myth Media Podcast, a journey of film and faith. I'm your host, Michael McDonald. And I'm Seth Steele. And this week we'll be discussing Barry Jenkins' films uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. Uh, he won the Academy Award for uh, Best Picture in 2018, which I think is... 16. Or is it 16? Yeah. I thought it was just last year. Maybe I'm... No. (laughs) Time flies. Uh, Green Book was last year. Shape of Water was before that. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, if you weren't following True Myth on social media this week, you might have missed our reviews for Annie Hall, Her Smell, Best of Enemies, They Shall Not Grow Old, If Beale Street Could Talk, Spider-Man Far From Home, Midsummer, It Follows, and Moonlight. Woot. So this week I uh, got a little bit of a um, special episode. I uh, had our friend Virginia Anzengruber from uh, Fountain Street Church uh, and the Listening at the Fire podcast uh, yep. joined us for a little movie watching party. We watched both uh, Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. So, yeah, uh, we're just going to – it is a bit of a longer uh conversation that we have yeah. after all it is over two movies we just got done watching them so we ramble quite a bit but we had a lot um, to say <laughs> yeah and also me and virginia and you as well like we are all like talkers yeah so uh it just kind of talking goes. about movies so of course yeah yeah so it just kind of goes uh hopefully you guys uh get a lot out of it um and we will uh catch you on the back end of this uh this conversation all right well uh, here we are sitting with uh, Virginia Anzengruber. Hey Hello. Guys. Hi. How goes it? Thanks for inviting me to your scary basement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not that scary. It just no, looks it like you could right definitely now. get away with a murder in here. Yeah, so. it kind of does. We need to spruce it up, I think, a little bit. I haven't even shown you the um The, the secret real murder room? room? The oh, secret okay. room that, uh, yeah, actually, there's another, like, little, uh, like, pantry, like, over there. Where you hide the bodies? Uh, that, like, yeah. <laughs> like, the, um, the... The door for it is not super apparent where it is. Okay. And we had a break in here a couple of years ago. No. And when the police came down and everything and looked through, they didn't even see that room until my wife opened it for them. So that was good. So you had time to hide the bodies. So it was fine, right? Yeah, exactly. So basically, uh, you're just admitting to murder on this podcast. That's what's happening right now. This is now. all going to get added out later, I'm sure. Yeah. So I mean, I'm joking, guys. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, we just got done watching both of Barry Jenkins' feature films, uh, Moonlight, which mm-hmm. won the Academy Award a couple of years ago. For Best Picture. For Best yeah. Picture. And uh, then If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, which was nominated for several uh, last year or this year. And Regina King won, won for yep. Best Supporting Actress. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, – yeah, I, we asked Virginia on here just because uh, I enjoy talking to her and uh, enjoy uh, a lot of the conversations we've had o- around movies. Yeah. Uh, I was on her podcast, Listening at the Fire. and uh, Yeah, we talked about parasocial relationships and how devastated we were. Yeah. Virgil, excuse you. <laughs> uh, Vir- yeah. Virgil has been hanging in there for two movies. <laughs> yeah. So, so he's, he's doing he's now. doing good. He's just tired. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you were on my show. It was great. We we talked about um, parasocial relationships and sort of those connections that we can make to um, fictional characters, whether they be in novels or on film. We specifically were talking about Game of Thrones and yeah. the Avengers and. 
how devastated I was when Hedwig died in Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that didn't come up. <laughs> that wrecked me for so long. That is so, a no, that was a, that was a really fun episode, and we, we all got done with the conversation, and I think Kate was like, I feel like that was like group therapy. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. I, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot, and uh, definitely as we start looking to have more and more guests, you were somebody that I wanted to have on the show. Oh, thanks. <laughs> for the audience, I'm just doing a glamour shot pose. <laughs> we'll get cameras later. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's start with let's start talking about Moonlight. Yeah. Uh, Seth, do you want to run us through kind of what the movie is about for sure. somebody who hasn't seen it yet? So uh, Moonlight kind of takes place in three different storylines. Uh, it's about a young boy who uh, is, he doesn't really quite know what he is, but he's a little bit different when he's starting out. Um, you start to kind of realize that he's gay. Um, and then we flash forward 10 years and uh, you get kind of an incident in his life where uh, it drastically changes him and kind of puts him in a position where he uh, kind of sets himself apart from love, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grows into kind of like an isolated state. Um, and then it flashes forward another 10 years and then we get kind of uh, a thawing of ice, I feel like. It's yeah. just pretty much like a moonlighted, uh, like a closeted homosexual um in a kind of projects area and it's him growing up the entire time and it's growing up without love i feel like at least that's that's kind of like a, a theme kind of overview yeah. of it well it starts out with him at like six years old then yep. it flashes forward to like early when high school like, yeah and then like after being uh what like like you said another 10 years later yeah so, so it's 10 it's... years i think every single uh, yeah. time that we flash forward but it's it's pretty much three different scenes right so, yeah. Oh yeah, and they have even three different actors playing yeah. the same character of, of Chiron. And I do. Before we get started, I feel like we should just all sitting around this table properly acknowledge for the audience that we are about to discuss and dissect two feature films that are heavily like focused on the black experience, yes. which yes. we cannot speak to. Yes, uh, it, none of us are black. No, <laughs> none of us have grown up, uh, as I understand it, in. Uh, black culture or black society. No. Um, I uh, just want to make sure that we're like really defining that for the audience because everything that we're going to talk about is obviously going to be our perspective and our understanding of movies that really define the black experience for audiences, which I think Barry mm-hmm. Jenkins yes. has a really great <clears throat> and really deft hand of doing. But everything that we're going to yeah. talk about is only going to be our limited scope and perception of that as, oh, as white people. Well, and one of the things that I really enjoy specifically about these two films um, is as a white person, I don't feel like I'm being alienated from that. Like, like I, I feel like even though he is speaking to a very specific, to a very specific audience, um, sometimes I find with movies that I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I'm the direct, the audience for. Uh, I I just really feel that strongly and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not for me. That's how a lot of minorities feel when they see most right. of our cinema but, in yes, America, is, <laughs> most like, of our mainstream movies. But this these two movies, I feel like uh, I don't... I don't feel as left out in the cold. I feel like he really brings you into experience something that uh, you've never experienced before and seen before. Um, it's just su- such a unique voice 
to me in like cinema barry jenkins yeah definitely i I feel like he has a very subtle way of bringing the nuances forward uh like a lot of the character relationships there will be very small interactions that speak to a very large issue like Mm -hmm. overall um like some of the character interactions between uh mahershala ali who plays uh, a drug dealer yeah yep um who is selling drugs to uh the main character his his mom yeah um, and Chiron's he's, mom. yes, Chiron. Yeah, sorry, um, and little, he's, yeah, <laughs> like little Chiron. Yeah, he, black. It kind of his yeah, name changes has, as he, has he goes three over. Names through the movie, um, so. Yeah, but the the relationship that he has there is so interesting. Um, Mahershala Ali, he kind of steps in and he he kind of becomes like a father figure mm-hmm. because Chiron does not have anyone in his life whatsoever. Which, to actually speak to your summary, I don't necessarily see this as something. I don't see this as a story of of a character not experiencing love. I think it's more of a yeah. story of him maybe not getting it where one would traditionally look for love, right? So yes. he doesn't get it from his mother figure yeah. who, you know, we see her at the beginning and she's really just kind of trying her best and you can kind of tell from the scrubs that she probably works in some sort of job in the medical yeah. field. They don't really tell you, but then as... But you can tell just from the production design of what's going on and, and how, like, the house looks as time goes. Yes, it kind um, of just, you, you know... You can see that it's devolving. So it looks like she had, she was in a somewhat stable place. Yeah, and then just Though through, she was working her right, butt off probably yeah. to be there. And then and and then you see it like kind of falling. There's apart even that one that... particular shot where they he does a lot of shot reverse shots and a lot of panning shots that I really yeah. like. Mm-hmm. But there's a really good shot reverse of Little in the first sort of segment where he comes in and he notices that the TV is gone all of a yeah, sudden. Yeah, and that is interesting because you know it's clearly a, a slow progression of his life of seeing his mom kind of devolve into this, but there are those little like kind of camera moves that, um, that I really like. And it's the same cinematographer for both Moonlight and if Beale Street could talk actually. And so I just really enjoyed how those moments were kind of punctuated mm-hmm. in these really kind of, they, cause they would l- like linger yeah. on little well, space. Actually, yeah. That's one of the things that I love about uh, like Barry Jenkins, directing style is the way that he does. He lingers on specific. I love, moments. I love his pacing. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. The, the kind of the, the slow, the use of like, uh, like sl- slow motion sometimes well, how okay. it'll like the, the dialogue won't quite match up because it'll be like, let's, let's watch this moment where the, these two characters meet eyes for a second. Yeah. And it's almost, like uh he does these shots that are kind of like portraiture yeah where it's like okay even like just this person staring at another person and they're staring straight at the camera and and he'll just linger on that shot for like five or ten seconds with Mm -hmm. some like voiceover or like with a the other person talking or something yeah and uh i i just really loved the way that he moves the camera too he uses it to create a sense of chaos in moonlight around like i noticed uh so when mahershala ali comes out of the car for the first time and he's like talking to his guy on the corner and, that's all steady cam yeah that it's all steady cam and he's like and it's just swirling around yeah mm-hmm. swirling around but then as once mahershala ali's Juan, we can just call him Juan. Yeah, once he stops, <laughs> I can never remember what his name is in the movie. Um, once he stops, it's and and like brings stability to that because there's like this kind of uh, like 
guy who's trying to get some free drugs and you know there's like this well yeah Juan's checking in on one of his his dealers right right yeah. and so like but guys. once Juan comes in and and it's like all of a sudden the camera settles yeah and it's on him and it's stable and the, well and that and, shot is kind of mimicked again later on mm-hmm. in part two as well but sorry I mean yeah yeah out. no no it's fine it's like but the, uh he does that all the time uh like I think kind of emphasizing moments of kind of like chaos and confusion and moments of stability like uh when lil is fighting with the with kevin Mm -hmm. and it's just very like chaotic and uh you know you see their arms and leg yeah Yeah, it's like you never really see anybody's full body at any given moment but then all of a sudden when it stops it's like and uh lil is just like leaning there on the ground Mm -hmm. after the fight and it's just like steady yeah. And it's like, oh, he's found, like, a piece of stability in that chaos here. Well, and I think um, Juan is that for him. So it's really yeah, interesting yes, to me because yep, I think absolutely. Juan is that for him during that part of his life in a way that even from our first introduction of Juan too little, which is him kind of opening the, po- yeah, yeah, opening the window. The, like, dude, literally that, allowing that light in. And was, I guess, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's kind of why I was like, he's he's kind of closing himself off. Like, literally the right. first time that we see Little, he clo- like he closes himself in an apartment and and somebody has to break him out in right. order to like allow some kind mm-hmm. of emotion back in or but some I, kind of... I just appreciated how soft that was with Juan because, and that's the great like juxtaposition of that particular character because oh, yeah. even as it goes through and we really only see one during that first segment because as you find out in part two you know he had died Mm -hmm. a few years before and Teresa who is his girlfriend and kind of a surrogate mother to little has continued on in this role even though Juan is gone I I think there were such powerful moments and it's it's totally understandable why you see Mahershala Ali winning the Academy Award for this because these moments where you know little is kind of growing up and he's realizing bits about his his mom and the reality mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't maybe understand fully as a kid. And, and there's that really beautiful scene at Teresa and Juan's house where he, you know, he asks, what's a faggot? Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's one of the best scenes uh, in Apologies the movie. to the, the, the LGBTQIA community for using that word, but that is the word that is used in the film. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he asks and and the the tenderness in Juan's, eyes but then also in how he responds which you yeah. guys were laughing but i took pages of notes because i was <laughs> excited to talk about this um dude these lines are great <laughs> well and i'm i like literally wrote it down because he he asks you know he says you know what's a faggot and then he says it's a word that people use to make gay people feel bad yeah and then he asks well am i one and then juan says well you could be gay but don't let anybody call you a faggot. And yeah. that that moment, I, I think, really echoes a lot of the relationship that Juan has with Little, which is just him trying to kind of impart this, like, wisdom to him, but not in a way that ever feels like he's forcing his ideology on him, you know? And yeah. you kind of yeah. see that at the he's beach, trying to, too. He's trying to impart an inner strength to him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he, you kind of you see that at the beach as well when he talks about when he was growing up in Cuba and he, and he comes across the old lady who kind of, and that's where the namesake of the play comes from, which is the adaptation of the film. But it, the, the line is like in moonlight, black boys look blue. And mm-hmm. he kind of pauses for a minute and he looks to little and he says, you know, you're going to have to choose who you want to be at some point. Don't let anybody tell you who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those moments are so 
beautifully like juxtaposed with James Lacton's cinematography because like right before that you see them in the ocean and there's this really great foley kind of and this like really intimate like tight shots of you know kind of Juan teaching little how to swim yeah and that that moment of him kind of I don't know. He, you, you can kind of see the scene turn in a way where he does kind of learn to swim. And then Juan's like, oh, we got a swimmer on our hands, yeah. you know? And then they get back on the beach. And that feels just like a B side of that in a way where he's just continuing to kind of empower a little and trying to, to really like put this positivity into his life yeah. to yeah. just let him be himself, you know? And, and especially, and again, completely talking from, uh, you know, hetero like cisgendered white woman's point of view um but i did grow up in florida um so i do have a a tiny uh perspective of sort of of not maybe just at least the landscape and the culture and and things like that but for that kind of community to be empowering someone to just kind of be themselves almost more so than other communities there can be a lot of deep-seated homophobia which you see in you know because that hyper masculinity is Mm -hmm. so apparent for survival right and you see that later on in part two even Mm -hmm. when a lot of the characters because even he even he as he goes in through the stories like has to in some ways put on that mask of super harsh masculinity yeah very well and really that's kind of a question that comes up in the third act too is like is it a mask or is it like actually actually part of him kevin even kind of calls him out like what are you doing with those fronts and like your teeth and all that kind of stuff yeah and then he's like what do you he's like this is who i am like what do you know about who i am like you haven't seen me in 10 years it's funny too actually if you look at like uh kevin's first interaction with little too when they're like on the playground and they're uh they're fighting or whatever um kevin is actually the one that tells him that he's got to be he's got to be tough he he can't just be like a sissy or something like that so it's like okay like really kevin has had this influence on his life from the very beginning but that also i think really speaks to what kevin has probably had to have as a a defense mechanism as well because that clearly was the learned behavior that he has had that he's then imparting that on you know, to little as as yeah, like be a, totally a gesture well, of friendship. And that too. group of kids, like yeah. they're the two smallest ones too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So like you really get this sense of like one small kid trying to teach another small kid how to survive. Yeah. 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 And it just sort of as someone who was a very small kid. Well, yeah. And I feel life like is rough. Yeah. For a small. Kid. Like I feel like little is constantly looking for someone to uh, just give him any kind of advice on how to how to live whatsoever. That's why he's so eager to reach out for Juan. That's why he's so eager to reach out for Kevin well, he's for not any real, kind of support but whatsoever. I, I see. I don't know. I think that, like, he's not that eager to reach out to Juan. I, like, he doesn't talk to him, like, really. Like, well, Juan he really has doesn't to draw talk him. until does, Teresa gives him permission to not talk. Yes. That's the important part. Yeah. She says, it's, you don't have to talk until you're ready. Exactly. And that's yeah. when she says, that's when he says, my name's Chiron. Yeah. That's the first time that we actually well, hear him talk to an adult. Because, like, like, especially when you too. see with the teachers and, like, the other kids and everything, everybody everybody has an idea of what they want out of him. Yeah, an expectation. Yeah. Yeah, even, like, um, like the bullies expect him to be, uh, like, just eternally picked upon. Yeah. Like, we should be able to do this forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
um, his mom expects him to like give him her, her his money or give her his money whenever he has it. Um, is always yelling at him uh, like that first uh, or the later interaction. Yeah, where she takes the money and then like sends him off to school. Doesn't let him go up the stairs and right. you know he's just had like this experience that he's he's very beat up about and she doesn't want to let him like he's just not in control of his own life at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, like he comes home that one the one night and she's like uh rushes him in and then goes off into the other room with that guy who's there um you know again no control over like his home or like what his life looks like the first kind of semblance of that he has is to run off to go seek out Juan right you know uh, can we go back to the uh, scene where he's actually like in the water too? Yeah, really quick? yeah. I, I feel that like scene. that scene, um, like really for me, I, like I think you talked a little bit about the sound design a little yeah, bit, like the Foley oh, sound. So beautiful. Yeah. Um, for me, this whole scene is like he reaches a state of tranquility, like he reaches a state where somebody kind of understands him, and then the whole thing is him trying to get back to that place for the rest of the movie. Um, and there's a lot of recurring uh, metaphors, like the images with uh, water. I was going to say feel water, like is, water is constantly in. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the sound that he keeps hearing all the time, mm-hmm. like um, it always shows up at those moments, and it's like, oh man, this is about to be a moving part well, because this is even the temperature of water that he has in uh, in the movie. Like, there's there's scenes when he dunks his head in ice water right after yeah. uh, something terrible happens, and I feel like the water kind of becomes. Uh, or, or even the temperature for water kind of becomes like a metaphor for how he's feeling about particular people or how he's feeling towards people. Because towards the end of the movie, actually, when he goes back to meet with Kevin, Kevin actually warms up water like uh, he boils oh, it on the stove. The tea, so it's like, yeah. here we go. Yeah. yeah, this is the warming up of uh, water again. We're going to. Well, and even in the bathtub scene in part one with Little, you know, and he's making his own bath, yeah. there is the element where he kind of draws he the cold the tub. And he, he has, has to pour, to pour in, the boiling yeah. water in. But the, the scene in, in part two, with with Chiron in in high school right after he gets the shit kicked out of him by everybody including Kevin who at that point has really been bullied into that situation and you can tell in that interaction is trying to tell him to stay down so that he doesn't have to keep beating him up dude that scene yeah that's a rough scene but to your point you know I think it's really interesting because you see him dunking his face in this like sink full of ice water and he looks up at himself and there's this moment of a similar scene that we've a similar frame that we've seen from Jenkins before, where it's almost like he the the character is almost staring directly to camera, but it's mm-hmm. it's really in the mirror at mm-hmm. themselves. And then the next shot that we have is a, a tracking shot of the camera following him into the high school, in through the class, in through the hallway, where he just picks up the chair and beats the shit out of Tyrell with it and then that's what ends up putting him in juvie and kind of sends him on to part three of becoming you know black and sort of being this kind of drug dealer Mm -hmm. that like it it just is interesting because obviously water I mean that's such a classic like we use it as transformation for all things you know Mm -hmm. like it's such a good visual you know of, of a character either you know coming out changed if they're you know jumping in the ocean or a pool or something like that or you know um i was just doing a panel with uh sarah vesely who's the director of wealthy theater and she made a really good mention that sometimes it can almost be reminiscent of a baptism yeah that's, yeah, that's actually yeah. what i was thinking yeah. of um in the beginning because especially like if you think of like a southern baptist idea of a baptism where it's yeah, like, it's a full where immersion. He's, like the full immersion yeah. um, and the way that he's holding him in the water at first like 
almost mimics that. Yeah. yeah. It, and, and when you think of also what's happening at that moment as being a rite of passage for him to like, like he doesn't have a father and here's a, a kind of stand in for a father uh, who is uh, teaching him to swim, teaching him to uh, talk, having all these conversations with him about owning who he is. Yeah. Um, deciding for himself who he is. Like <laughs> it really is a a scene that's kind of about uh, about little being told what it means to be a man. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people in yeah. this movie are telling him what it means to be a man. And he is just kind of having to hear all of that and then filter it through what he thinks is going to be right for him, which is why I appreciated in that scene that we talked about earlier, you know, Juan, he says, like, you don't have to know right now. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know right now. And And so there's an element of, like, this time will come when you have to know, but it's okay if it's not right now, which mm-hmm. I, yeah. I really appreciated that kind of B side of that lesson because it wasn't like Juan was trying to impart any sort of, you know, what he understood to be a man because you see him wrestling with that yeah. a few times through the film. You know, when he comes and finds Naomi Harris's character, so Chiron's mom, you yeah. know, smoking in the car at first he's angry because he's like somebody's blowing up my spot and then when he sees who it is then there's this element and she even calls him out on it because she's like and don't give me that you know shit like oh i gotta get it somewhere i'm getting it from you and you see that on his face and you see that when you know little asks him do you deal drugs yes and that my mom does drugs and little recognizes little recognizes that although um this guy has like been telling him all these things um there's a there is a certain level of hypocrisy in him well i well, think it's just maybe like, him understanding a little bit more of his own world i don't yeah. and did you see i don't know i, thought, I don't know I if you would understand I, hypocrisy i, I, I know no he, he wouldn't use that word hypocrisy but i think that mahershal ali is wrestling with that and for yeah. little to yeah. confront him with that is like the hardest thing for him to ever do oh yeah, with yeah right yeah, there yeah, so absolutely. like that that scene for me is probably the strongest one in well, the, the fact that he just asked so directly yeah you know and oh and mahershal is just the look on his face just like oh heartbreaking i am trying so hard here and i'm still yeah. disappointing everybody well, and like still, yeah he is he's dealing with the choices that he's, he is he's made yeah. well and like, i think that like for a movie that's all about um him figuring out what is a what does it mean to be myself and everything like him realizing i i don't know i i i felt like he he was disappointed in Juan and especially in the future. Like he's kind of realizing that even he's making, even he's making decisions based on his survival. Like he's got to make his money too. Yeah. Um, I especially... didn't read it as disappointment though. I think I just read it more as him just understanding more, yeah. just like a fullness, like, like before he saw the outline of something and now he's seeing it. It's more shaded in. More detailed. Yeah. yeah. He's grasping the world yeah. a little bit more, I feel like. Yeah, because he didn't seem angry. And it, no. cl- it was clear that he didn't sever any relationship yeah. with Juan and Teresa. Yeah, because, no. Because they know... were still friends. Well, I mean, he was still friends with Teresa 10 years later. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that could be. And the visual, too, of later when in part three, you know, they, you see him in his car and he has the crown on the dashboard just yeah. like Juan yeah. does. You know, you oh, just, no, obviously, that ob- moment of, like, obviously he's, he looks up to Juan, yeah. like, his whole life. Yeah. Like, that's... I don't know. I just uh, I really I like the um, the thing that I was really liking about their relationship was how um, the complexity of uh, Juan feeling like he's 
in some ways trying to save him, but he also feels guilty for trying to steal him. Well, I think he knows he probably can't save him, right? To right. a certain degree, because it's you know. a futile. Like it's yeah, yeah, it's like he's trying to save him from himself, really, because like he's trying to get him away from these drugs, but he's the one providing the drugs. Well, and so, it's also you yeah. know where they are. It's yeah. it's 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 such a huge They're part of in poverty. Like, where exactly. Are they go? Like yeah. wh- <laughs> and 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 again to a point that we can't comprehend here. we <laughs> like, cannot yeah. comprehend here right because like i don't know a lot about you guys but i'm gonna assume that you didn't grow up in some sort of project no. situation where you so. had to like you know fall on sort of like illicit uh you right. know activity just to make your money because no. we live in a cycle of institutionalized racism where somebody like that would not be able to get just the advantages that the three of us have had that we probably like on the daily i'm going to admit take for granted because it's it's one of those things that's been statistically proven that if we turned in a resume with you know michael mcdonald and then chiron you know we never actually get his last name but like statistically like they're gonna ask you in for an interview and and maybe not chiron and that's just there are articles that back that up yeah there are there are you know those are sociological experiments that have been done and proven that in this country we have such an institutional bias against people of color that it's an interesting thing and again like I, i kind of didn't even really think about it until we were watching it and then i was like oh and then we're just going to sit around as three white people <laughs> yeah. and try to, like, talk about this. And, like, it's not that we don't ha- or cannot have an opinion. No. You know, but it's just, like, I-, I think it's always important to kind of contextualize the fact that, like, any sort of understanding of this that we're going to have is going to be a whisper of an understanding yes. of a culture that – while it is obviously America, America is still so heavily segregated. And we're talking about a time period narratively, obviously, that was 20 years ago. So you're thinking probably mid to late 90s mm-hmm. because this movie came out in, what, 2017, 2016, 2017? Yeah. So if you figure every 10 years is what we're looking at, then then theoretically we're looking at a time period of my, like Miami, 1995 to yeah. 1997, we're not going to have a concept of what that is, <laughs> no. you know, and and especially when we're talking about Miami Beach, which was heavily influenced by the drug trade that did come from Cuba. And that was a lot of actually what built that city and why a lot of, you know, <laughs> why a lot of the buildings are still in this art deco kind of design, mm. because a lot of that once that left a lot of the money from Miami Beach left. I mean, that was the whole thing of, like, Miami Vice, right? That was, like, the entire, like, Mm. impetus for that police station was, like, the drug, you know, like, going against the drugs and all that stuff. So it's just (laughs) a really interesting thing because with all of these characters, I think we can only shade them through our perspective. perspective, But I don't think that Juan is a bad person, even though he's a drug dealer. You know, even I I think think he tries to do... Right. I, you know, and we see that from the beginning. He I think tries his in- to do right. Uh, yeah, I think his intentions are what make him a good person. Um, yeah. But, like, I mean, there's the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like, I mean, like, he has made tons of bad decisions, but he has also made, like, I mean, that's what landed him doing this drug dealer thing. But at the same time, he's trying to correct that. Like, he realizes that. He that can, and he, he, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I mean, like, we don't know if he ever found his true redemption because his story kind of tapers off before we ever get the conclusion for but it. But he clearly but. does have his own universe because he loves Teresa yeah. and, and does right by her. Even later when, you know, Chiron is in high school, they talk about, you know, 
oh, well, Teresa's Juan's lady. Yeah, but Juan's been dead for a long time. It, it, mm-hmm. it, there's clearly still a legacy there that yeah. that the community respects her because of the love and respect that Juan well, had for her. You I, know? Don't, I don't think that the movie is really trying to, like, say whether he's like like you said like i don't know if we ever gets his redemption or whatever i don't feel like the movie is trying to do that i think the movie really just understands the complexity of people that like yeah. Oh, yeah. Pe- people yeah. are just complicated yeah uh whether and, he's a good or a bad person like i mean i've I, seen I think a couple of things that good, he's done i, I think i would I say based no on the knowledge the that we have i can probably go on record personally think i i think he's a good character I, that's I, how I that's, that's my takeaway yeah that's that's probably the yeah. question that barry jenkins was trying to get us to ask actually yeah like, maybe it doesn't like, even do have an think, answer yeah do you like, think he's, he's a good, good person he's, he's trying to be he's good to a couple of people in this movie yeah but i like what else is in his life? I don't know. Yeah. Same as anybody. I might have like, to let him out in a minute. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Virgil just so opened the door. He's, he's like, like he opened the door so and then looked back this. at us just like, ugh. I'm just going to let him out really quick. Yeah, you sorry. go for it. Uh, so, yeah, why don't we uh, move on from Moonlight real okay. quick, sure. and let's start talking about well, Wait, do we have final thoughts talk. about Yeah, do we want to talk about the ending? Because we didn't even get to the ending. Yeah, we didn't even get to part three. Okay, so we're going to spoil... Uh, okay. That's okay. I, uh, here's the thing. It's been out for a couple yeah. years. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was Best Picture winner. It was Best Picture winner. If you need a spoiler alert at this point. You, I like, guarantee you, I know some of our listeners who have not seen this movie. That's okay. <laughs> well, we'll spoil it for them. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, here we go. go. see it. I mean... It's, so. it's really kind of spoiler proof. It's pretty much just a conversation. I know. Yeah, I don't like, know. Yeah. The climax of the movie is two guys having a conversation it's in basically a him. That's basically the entire third part. See, yeah. and this, it's one of the reasons I really like this movie, actually, too, is um, Tarkovsky, f- favorite director of mine. Yes. He talks about this in his book, um, which we're actually getting ready to do a book club about. But uh, nice. um, he, talks about how, yeah, he, talks, <laughs> he talks about how uh, cinema has uh, – uniquely is able to speak to the issues of time in some ways because it is a medium that takes place in time. And uh, like you get to see these characters at these three different points in their lives. And really the third act is just the two of them talking about like what their lives have been and also how the scenes that we saw earlier in that second act um, really shaped them. Yes. And, well, and the and, first too. Yeah, yeah. Again, the first we get those. Too, I guess, we get some of, of those like mirror stuff, shots yeah. and stuff of like. Well, I because so the whole third act basically starts with with Chiron, who's now goes by Black. Mm-hmm. He's like waking up from a dream. Yeah, and then we see him, and he's sort of in his, and we don't really know where he is, and then contextually, like as we kind of make our way through this third part, we realize you know he's in Atlanta, and he's been there since he got out of juvie, and he kind of rebuilt himself to be this like harder person and then we again now he's a gangster yeah he He and he even admits it he you know he he deals drugs and he says it to kevin later and then Mm -hmm. you know and and like i just there are certain visuals that we see before really any dialogue even happens that i just think is really you know because again he's dunking his face in cold water he Mm -hmm. you know he is sort of you know he puts in his grills he he gets in his car the car has a crown on the dashboard just like wanted, which I mentioned mm-hmm. before. Like, so he kind of, even in his mannerisms and the way that he goes to check up on his guys, that coolness of his mannerisms really, to me, echoed the way that we saw 
Juan's physicality in part one, you know, it was very muted, very calm, but kind of ready to handle some shit if he needed to, which is why you see him put the gun like on the seat in case something goes down. And I, I, it's, I don't know if, I don't know if I could even guess if Black had ever had to use his gun, but he had created a persona for himself that people would believe that he had if that makes yeah. sense no it absolutely does like there's that interaction where he's uh he's messing with one of his like lower down drug dealer oh, guys yeah, where yeah. he's like he's like oh you're short and he's like no i'm not short and like the way that the interaction goes like you can tell little or black or whatever you want to call him he was just messing around like he was just trying to mess with this guy or was but he the guy but it, the guy both. took it, yeah. Yeah. or it could be that way. But the guy took it as, oh shoot, like I messed up here, and like it. Well, it, it was also, either he was and flexing also, and he was trying to like kind of. One, or, you can go yeah, ahead. one of the fine. other things that I thought was cool at the end. I I don't know if you guys thought this at all, but like when he gives the extra, like he gives a little extra to him. Yes, it's it's almost like he's saying, "Look, you don't got to steal from me. If you do, I'll know." And I'm not afraid to flex on you and show you what I would do. Well, and that's kind but of yeah. You don't have to. I'm going to take care of you. Well, and I think maybe it was also him just taking that power that he knew that he did have from this crafted persona yeah. and kind of because there was a moment where, you know, you as the audience before he says, like, I'm just. Oh, yeah. With you you, you, yeah. you don't you realize that he's that he messing. Was. And you see it on his face that he is like, are you calling me a liar? Yeah. You know, yeah. and you see that seriousness. And so you realize that, again, it's it's like for me with that that scene in the car where he just pulls out the gun and just puts it on. The seat is if he's ready to use it. I don't know as an audience member if I could surmise if he ever has had to use it or has used it, but people believe that he would. He's capable. Yeah. He's yeah. capable of yeah. that. And so I think that that moment on the couch with his, you know, dealer is a mix of, of both of kind of what you said, because I do think it was a flex. I do think yeah. it was like a you need to remember who your boss is. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time. You don't need to steal from me. Here's a little extra. I'm yeah. kind of just messing with you, you know? So it's a really interesting, like... Or was know, it also him sides. just trying to, like, get a friend, get another connection kind of thing? Like, oh, I'm just messing with you, guy. Like, you know, mm. um, this was a little joke between us, and you just took it the wrong way. Because I almost feel like the way that he was saying, like, oh, I'm just messing you with you, it almost came off as, oh, you didn't even see it as I was messing with you. You saw it as I'm your boss, and I'm mm. going to take it out on you. Oh, like, see, it's I didn't a, read it okay. that way. Yeah, I like, mean, but that's cool that you did, because, like, I didn't, be, yeah. I like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. It could have been taken either way, honestly, at this point, so, yeah. but... Because maybe that's just a conditioning of how he's yeah. tried to interact with people based on his upbringing. Yeah, because, I mean, like, if you look at the way that, like, all of his interactions, every single one has kind of been stunted. Like, right, I feel exactly. like every time he tries yeah. to reach out and, like, touch somebody, he always gets, like, a slap in the face or a punch in the face. Like, he gets mm-hmm. a connection with Kevin, uh, and then he, like, beats him up. He gets a connection with Juan, and he finds out that he's dealing uh, drugs to his mom. Like, every except time for Teresa. Yes, except with That's Teresa. That's a good constant for yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, every, like, almost every time he reaches out, he just kind of gets shut down again. So, I don't yeah. know. And, and it's, like, it's, it's, it's cool because, like, the way the movie ends up being, it doesn't have, like, a traditional plot structure. It ends up being just this, like, unfolding of a character. Yeah. And, and seeing, like... The things That's why that... I was having a hard time describing the actual plot of the movie. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's three different... Uh, it's just like, like some guy's yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> it's three yeah, different exactly. segments in a guy's life. Exactly. Yeah. No, uh, but... But it's... it's I don't know. It's, it's a movie that the first time I saw it, like, just really impressed me with uh, 
the depth of the character. What, oh, actually, you I was going to say earlier when you were talking about uh, um, like his mannerisms and stuff and yeah. how it mirrors different things. And uh, to just call out the acting in this film, um, the three the the guy who plays Lil Chiron and uh, Black, they are the work that they're doing is phenomenal their yeah. mannerisms how they I, mirror I know. each other i, can't, I couldn't believe it like that's what away. i was that's why i was watching at the end when black is like you know kind of the he, way he stands he, yeah he doesn't bit, want to like answer because like that's a, something that it like frequently comes up in the movie is that uh he just doesn't like talking yeah he uh you gotta draw everything out of this guy yep and uh so like the way he has his head down the way that he shuffles his feet the way like the the amount of attention to detail um that especially those two older actors uh would have had to do in order to make sure that they're doing that right and make it feel like the same character all the way through because it yeah. it feels remarkably contiguous yeah, yeah. It, it totally does yeah. uh which I would think would be the hard one of the hardest things to do in a movie like this where you've got three different actors and one of them is like six right uh oh, they're all so good yeah. Though. Yeah. Um, I, I think another one of my favorite things actually is when uh, Kevin cooks him dinner at the very end. Yeah. Um, because really this is kind of like uh, Chiron finally finds somebody to kind of like take care of him or he finds somebody that he's finally found like this connection with. Um, and like you think, okay, this is going to be some great meal that he's making, but it's not. It's just like rice and beans and like whatever. Um, Those but plantains the way, looked good Yeah, though, but the I way, but no, I'm saying like the way that it's shot, it looks like it should be like this, this chef prepared meal. Like there's so much love like that's and what's care. gonna come yeah like there's so much yeah. love and care that's actually put into it it doesn't matter that it's not a five course meal it matters that it came from this one specific guy and he's the one that's giving it to him so yeah. it means just as much as if it would have been a five course meal well and also so, also like one of the things that's going on there is that i think is this is the first relationship where we've seen uh black uh dealing with somebody that is his own age like that's that is not like in some power struggle like all of the characters in this movie have like authority either over him or um are exerting some sort of physical uh like power over him like mm-hmm. uh or are abdicating their power over him and here's this character now that is his age and he can he's finally like learning to relate in a way that has nothing to do with power has nothing it just has to do with being i think himself. it's because kevin also sees and asks kind of a few different times like you know is this really you like is this right. really who you are now like and and there's a moment where you know black was like well you don't know me anymore and yeah. then kevin says i don't know you yeah. yeah and there's this great pause moment because it's like like I know a version of who you are. Yeah. I might not know this person that is sitting in front of me trying to flex really hard, but like I know who you are. I've known you since we were kids. I've known yeah. you since yeah. since you were little. I've known you when you were Chiron. And so like there's an intimacy to that scene that just has like a through line that if you notice a lot of the shots are these like close ups mm-hmm. yeah. or like, you know, medium shots where 
they're going to pan from Kevin to to Black and, and kind of back. And, and we see this visually a lot also in If Beale Street Could Talk, which I, I appreciate because I think it really can it keeps the continuity of intimacy in a way that like mm-hmm. this could have been an incredibly boring scene, right? It's just a friend sitting in a diner. Like the yeah. majority yeah. of part three takes place in that diner. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that we are completely engrossed as an audience the entire time not because you're necessarily wondering like, oh, what's going to happen next? And yeah. is there going to be like a ton of action? It's sort of like how long will it take Kevin to kind of unwrap this onion layer, you well, know, yeah. again? Yeah. Well, and it's like it's a it's a movie also that cares so much more about what is happening internally. Exactly. Like this is not a movie that is – I mean it is a movie that's about two drug dealers, gangsters like in some ways. Yeah. But like it doesn't have – any of the scenes that you would normally like associate with that kind of film. And even uh, in If Beale Street Could Talk, same thing where like we don't really see like the um, the scene where the cop is accusing him. We don't see a lot. Of, we don't see a lot of the things yeah. that you would normally associate with a movie that's about a wrongful imprisonment based on race. Yeah, like the more you know? dramatic scenes. Are yeah, kind of none of that is there. Screen. Even it's when she's trying to tell scene. her mom, Regina King's character, at the very first that she's pregnant, we don't even hear her say that. It cuts away. Yeah. to yeah. them in the living room, and then she kind of is telling the rest of her family. But that initial yeah. conversation, we don't see it as an audience. Yeah. We, cause, because it's it, at that point, it's not important. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not important. And I almost think that it, it kind of emotionally does what it needs to do, which is build the tension for the audience in the same way that we are going to feel the same tension that that main character is feeling. Yeah. But it almost is unnecessary to see that because it's released so quickly, maybe, because Regina's King, Regina King's character is so accepting, like, right yeah. away. It, well, yeah. I think it understands that, like, the the acceptance that she has for it is kind of why like we spend more time with the other ones is right. because those are the people that are not accepting of it. Well, I love her dad's reaction. Her, he just is her like, whole yeah, her whole is great. That, that whole scene is great. Oh my I God. When, when the like, like in-laws come in oh, though, man. holy oh. shit, that scene, you <laughs> yeah. guys. Oh I my know, God. I know. I know you've seen it before. This is it's my first time. I know. I was my first time too. So and I was, I was like, just oh, like, I was not prepared for that. I was not prepared. <laughs> the first, the first time I, I saw that and like he hits her, I was like, <laughs> Listen, what just happened? Let, I'm going to say something that's going to be very controversial. I, I, I'm glad I'm not saying. Here's it. the thing. Because <laughs> I here's don't. the thing. I do not in any way condone <laughs> violence, but. When that woman is in her face and says the Holy Spirit is going to shrivel your baby up, bitch, I wanted to slap her, okay? Like, it didn't matter who. I wished it was I, – yeah. I wished it was Tish's character personally. Yeah. Like, the fact that it came from her husband to me – Was a little weird. It was, well, it clearly denotes that, like, they're only staying together because of societal expectations because there was no joy or love or no. respect in that marriage. From, Not from, from had, it, you get, I feel There might have been at one I feel, point, but – I feel like he'd been uh, – like, it's, it's, again, one of the great things about these movies is how – it hints at the larger world without exploring it yeah. completely. Like you can tell through a couple of the comments that he makes and a couple of the comments that she and, makes. And the hit. <laughs> that, yeah. That um, he probably kind of suffered through like the, like the way that she is yeah. a lot, but 
it seems like in the last couple years or somewhere in the last three or four years, everything got there was ratcheted a, there was up. A, there was a break where yeah. he was like, no, I'm I'm not going to pretend to be that person anymore. Right. Like, you definitely get the feeling that there were stages in their relationship. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, and now we're in the bad stage. Yes. Now so. we are in the bad <laughs> yes. stage. Man. <laughs> oh, but the sister, Tisha's sister... Uh man, what a great Unbound character! Your sister, and yeah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I was but like, that also, was great. The way that she like comes at the other sisters as they're like, which by the way, the mom kind of being like faint afterward and being like, oh, oh. I was just, it was so she over the top. And yeah. like, she has a bad. Heart, how dare right? you? She has a bad heart. And then he, what does she's the dad got the say? vapors. Well, <laughs> no. I, and I even to be wrote fair, she did just get hit. Like I'm gonna give her the benefit of the yeah, doubt there. but man, she <laughs> still catching her breath. Uh, I don't know. I wrote down the line. It was like, um, uh, she, oh, she said the Holy Ghost is gonna make it shrivel in your womb, which like was horrible. But then the dad says something about how uh, something about her bad heart, but she basically doesn't have one anymore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He says. He says. Uh, um, he said that she get her like get her heart going again i don't know i something, can't remember yeah something to the effect of but like, like if i you understand have you have yeah, yeah if you yeah. have one anymore which i thought was just like you can tell he had been wanting to say a version of that for a really yeah. long time and that slap to me almost felt obviously it was an audience catharsis because we all were wanting to kind of i'm gonna assume and put that on everybody at one point we wanted <laughs> to slap that mom but at the same time you could tell that there was an element of of I think shame on the part of the dad. Not that he hit her, but that he was in any way associated with oh. someone oh, so yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. You yeah. know what I Absolutely. mean? Like it was yeah. almost this, to me. And okay, again, I'm every feminist listening to this is just going to be like, girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> Here's the thing. I do not condone violence between anyone. So like the fact that no. it came from a, a spouse and, and was in a version of, of sort of spousal abuse is, is not what I'm condoning. But to me, Visually and emotionally, it felt more like a slap someone would give someone to just like kind of knock them back into their senses, right? Like if someone's having almost like a panic attack or having some sort of, you know, like if they're manic depressive and they're going off on a manic tangent or they're getting really like crazy, there's almost a moment like – I don't even know. Like literally – and this is going to sound really weird, but like – there's a a shot in an earlier scene of a season of 30 Rock where <laughs> Liz Lemon's character gets to, for like a day, be like an executive. And at first she's like, no, I'm a writer. I'm a creative. And executives are like, rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, la, la, la. And, <laughs> and then Jack shows her a picture, like a piece of paper with her salary. And her first response is to just smack him in the face. Like she just <laughs> slaps him in the face. Yeah. And then later in that scene or that like episode, she um, gets confronted by another writer, Pete, and Pete's like, but you're not an executive. And she's like, this is your starting salary. And he slaps her in the face. Yeah. And she goes, I know. And it was just that moment of like, that was the takeaway for me, right? Again, not condoning spousal abuse in any form, but visually and emotionally, the takeaway for me more was like, this dad was so fed up at the cruelty yeah. that that slap was almost the only thing he could do to like pull her out of her own depths of darkness. If that makes sense, yeah, no, 
Uh, yeah, like it does. didn't feel like yeah. there was like, like get a with history the picture of violence kind of yeah. in their marriage. No, it wasn't no. like no. a continuing abuse thing. It, it was like, feel, what are you doing? It didn't like, feel yeah. snap like, out of it, yes, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was the fourth time he hit her that. No, night. exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. Like she was just as surprised as the kids were by that punch. So yes, yes. it doesn't feel like it's an. It, it, yeah, it felt like it was a situational thing. Yes, so, again, again, I don't condone. Yes, exactly. Time we don't condone spousal abuse, but it was like such an interesting scene because of the way that the tension had had kind of built and built and built on itself and then it just snaps and then it snaps (laughs) yeah and and then and really the way it's diffused by the rest of that is you know regina king says you know to her husband we don't need you here you take him Mm -hmm. out Mm -hmm. and then the women really handled themselves the rest of the scene and it was all of this like you know tish kind of standing up for herself and saying that was the cruelest thing that anyone's ever said to me you and, know, and, and reminding her that, like, you're not talking about nothing. You're talking about your grandchild. Yeah. yeah. You're yeah. talking about that man's grandchild. Who, that's why That's yeah. why he slapped you. Yeah. yeah. Is, and, like, who cares how, how he came around? That's what she says. Like, yeah. who cares how this baby is coming about? He's coming. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I we think have that to start, that was really to, important. We have to, like, stop having a debate about what could have happened in the last right. three weeks to right. whatever we need to start talking about what's going to happen in the next three weeks exactly yeah. exactly so that was a, uh we all as soon as that scene was done we were just like oh man oh. <laughs> everybody kind of just like exhaled because we were all just like gasp. holding our breath the yeah. whole time but it was so well acted and good god regina king has never deserved anything more than that academy award because she doesn't even have that many scenes in this film but no. every scene that she's in you've yeah. Feel her as a mother, yes, like, yeah, so deeply. Well, the Puerto Rico scene. So, oh yeah. my god, I was crying. <laughs> that yeah, I. I oh man. Well, well, I guess. Well, we never really went over what this movie is about. Actually, yeah, we either. can back up. So okay, we're gonna back up really quick. This one is a little bit easier to explain. Uh, this is pretty much just about a guy who gets wrongfully accused of rape. And he gets imprisoned. Um, this is set in the 60s, I want to say, too, I was right? Say, it's or, important to say it's a black man that yes, gets... Yes, it's a black man that's that accused by a white... In- accused of rape. Yes, yes, by a white cop. Um, and he gets sent to prison for this. Um, his girlfriend at the time is pregnant with their kid. Um, and they're just pretty much trying to figure out how they can get him out of jail. Um, they realize that the woman that has accused him, or uh, sh- the woman that accused someone of rape... Um, she put him in jail and she ends up moving to Puerto Rico and they have to find a way to uh, yeah. get a hold of her pretty much. And that's that's pretty much the overarching theme of the movie. I mean, that's the story well, of the movie. Yeah, like because on the one hand, that's what the movie's about. But on the other hand, I also feel like that's not even at all what the movie's about. Like it's it's it, more about the relationship. Honestly. Yeah, it's, it's really. And I think like the opening uh, the opening title screen where they're where it's the quote from James Baldwin talking about Beale Street <clears throat> being being this place uh, where that every city has and it's where and and the way that he says it I think is something along the lines of it's it's where the black people uh, of the city are le- basically left to well, kind, I actually wrote in, down, oh, did you write it? I wrote oh, down the back end of it he says Beale Street is a loud street it's left to the reader to discern a meaning in the beating of the drums yeah the the part before that was um he was talking about how uh it's this idea of finding life and uh and and 
joy and comfort and all of those things within basically the scraps of what's left you by the by the larger by the larger culture it's about the black community and that's that's why i I, yeah it's it's, about the black experience not just the black community it's like this is how we are dealing with like justice today this is how we're dealing with uh, and that's why and that's why like at the end of that at the end of the day when I, i come out of this movie what i the things that I remember about the movie are not the plot points. They are the relationships. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the it's the fact that um, I can't remember um, the guy's name uh, when he talks to Fondy in the um, uh, where Fondy. he's talking. Fondy, Dave Franco? Yeah, where he's no, where he's talking about um, uh, his jail experience. Oh, oh Brian Tyree Henry. I can't yes, think of his I, name, but uh, yeah. but yeah, like to to think about um, like. That character and his character's name is Daniel. Daniel, okay. yeah. Uh, like the the relationship that those two must have to be able to share those things and to get that dark and um, to to tell him what what it is like that he has basically talking to him about like the side of the white person that he hasn't quite seen yet. Like he thinks he's seen the worst, yeah. but he hasn't. He's like, you can't even imagine the things that yeah. I've seen or something. But like then that. also like between Tish and Fani, uh, like their relationship is one of the things that I walk away, like just feeling like, um, the movie does a great job, of, uh, like where she talks about, like it's not just you in here, I'm in here, like to, like I'm with I'm, you, I'm, yeah. with, you, I'm with, you. with you, like this idea of them always having been together, and that like even when they were little, like they were just inseparable, and uh, that they really are in their eyes, even before um, they had sex, they were that she she felt of felt of him like she, they were one flesh and like that idea she said, there I, exists no shame between us yes yeah, yeah. yeah. it's line. like they're they really it's just such a pure bond. build yeah. yeah they build that relationship in such a way to make you like treasure it yeah throughout the film in a way that i've rarely experienced in a movie um yeah like where i not only care about these characters i, I just really like I want more than anything for them to somehow like just keep going together and 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 to to find that life that they're trying to and I, and I to think that that really scratch out that's why Regina King's character going to Puerto Rico to kind of talk to this woman who and and again spoiler alert for the audience but like it is assumed by everyone that this woman did get raped yes. nobody is trying to tell her she did not yeah. experience what she experienced what they're trying to say is it was not Fani who did this mm-hmm. and the pressure of this white cop to put these men in front of yeah. a lineup who we then later see really already had it out for Fani because he was ready to take him to jail yeah. in that grocery yeah. store scene where he was just defending Tish yeah. from somebody basically assaulting her while she's just trying to get fucking tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, th- and and the only way that that doesn't happen is that that store owner, the older, I believe, white woman, but non-black woman basically comes out and is like, no, you're not going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that tense moment and again, it's it's a lot of those close-ups that we see where the character is looking directly to camera again. Yeah. And, and, and Jenkins really gives us this moment where we see the intentions of that cop behind his eyes. We yeah. understand it so clearly. Yeah. We see the racism so clearly because he says, like, I'll be seeing you around. Yeah. And then yeah. Fani says, maybe I, you will, but maybe you won't. One of the interesting things, though, because I, I, this is like the only – 
because there were a couple of lines in this movie that I had trouble understanding. So I like did some research to try and figure out. But one of the interesting things I found out is in the, the novel by James Baldwin and also actually in the movie, one of the things that um, Barry Jenkins has called out is you never do find out whether he raped her or not. Right. In yeah. the book, in the book, in the book, like it is deliberately left an open question in right. the movie. Like we may read in a lot of things about a lot of people in this movie, but we don't see what happened. No one ever. Do- and, and, and the woman who's raped swears up and down. It was him. And well, even when she sees the picture, she's not 100 percent sure. So, like, I, I don't I feel like we can kind of surmise well, as an also audience with the voiceover. Of yeah. The when actual... She's kind of like explaining some of the evidence that goes along with mm-hmm. it. I mean, like we kind of we have in our mind enough evidence to say, I feel like it's a little bit preposterous that, yeah, like, this guy did it. But we also don't know 100% for sure. So, yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah, like, like that's, yeah. that's like one of the difficult things in the film is that I it's so solely based on like these individuals' relationships to Fani that they don't believe it happened. That's all. It's just but I, I almost, them I saying, almost don't I, know, he's not I, that kind of person. I almost don't know if that's... I think this is, like, they want you to kind of assume that he's innocent. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it may be, like, a lingering question yeah. in the back of your mind, but I think most of the themes are attacking the fact that, like, there is injustice in the black community. Well, and, and like, specifically but, with, like, the black community and as it relates to... The white like, community, the ra- like. But yeah. in the 60s, that in the time period we're talking about, but even if we're talking about now... Like, we see a parallel to the fact that, like, we live in a state where marijuana was just, like, recreationally legalized, but we have no bill on the docket to try to expunge any of the records for the people that are in current state and federal prison to for oftentimes very minimal drug charges. So, like, Illinois just last week, I think, proposed uh, an initiative to um, not only legalize marijuana recreationally but in conjunction with that to expunge yeah. criminal records that are in relation to marijuana michigan has not done that so my my takeaway from that wasn't necessarily i don't know if james baldwin and to be fair i have not read the novel so again this is mm-hmm. my perception I don't think any, of, any of us but have actually. i think that it's maybe not it doesn't matter if he did or didn't do it. I don't think that the audience or, or you know, right. even as a filmmaker, he's trying to get us to think one way or another. It's the fact that innocent until proven guilty does not exist there for the go. black yes. community. Right. That's what it well, is. And, right? that's, and that's why I was saying, like, it's it's not that we know. It's the fact that he shouldn't be being treated this way, whether he did or not. As if because until there is that that concrete evidence that shows that we we do know mm-hmm. yeah. like they're well, trying him as if he's guilty and, they said, and if that evidence exists and they and they were talking too about like the injustice of well this one person says says that it was him and she's disappeared and this Even, one cop this one cop says it was him and now it's up to us to hire lawyers well no but spend, daniel and like, tish were they were the other like uh people that were his uh i'm losing my words because i have pregnancy brain right now but (laughs) they were his advocates right so but daniel's um testimony got thrown out because he had the previous marijuana charge and tish's testimony got thrown out because she was in a romantic relationship with him so even though Mm. he had 
two yeah. people that were saying, no, he was with us having dinner. We got that excruciating scene of Daniel yeah. explaining what it was like in prison and the fear that they just lorded over him oh. because they could, you know, like that. Yeah. That's well, the and scene. that's one of the things that he says, like, uh, is it Daniel? You said yeah. his name was where he says he says, like, they can when you're in prison, like they can do anything they were playing I with me do... just because they knew they could was yeah the line. yeah they can do anything to yeah. you in there and I, that oh. that whole scene is actually and then when his really, when he really starts dramatic. welling up and stuff dude that um the sound design in that part actually too because yeah. it, it kind of focuses you in on just their conversation right there and then uh tish walks into the room and it switches and yeah. you just kind of get There's that a light break. again yeah. yeah and you're like holy cow yeah. you can hear them laughing in the yeah. background and but, it's just like holy cow we see how dark and how intense this can get at the flip well, of the Well, and switch. again, yeah, well, Jenkins well, and, did that, like, panning, too, mm-hmm. where he, did, he wasn't well, cutting. Yeah. And, oh, was it and, a pan in that moment, there too? There were a lot of long takes. Yeah. But a like, lot of long takes. Yeah, the, the way that he uses that to kind of, like like you said, emphasize the the black experience being one where you, like have to have this lightness you have to have it in order to like survive it but at like you said at the flip of a switch like when half the people in the room and probably more have had these horrible dehumanizing experiences happen to them like and they've got to talk about it sometime or bottle it up or whatever like the the fact that like it switches like so quickly is such an amazing thing to like be watching to be drawn in by what this person is saying and then realize at any moment like somebody can walk in the room and they have to do dinner yeah like they can't well, they can't just they can't just sit here and i i i don't know i well i feel like i like because of my struggles with depression i'm maybe a little hard on myself sometimes but i feel like um a lot of times i'll get caught up in something and i'll feel like oh man, I just need time to get out of, to like wrap my head around this and like move on and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you don't get any sense that anybody in this world gets those opportunities. These are pe- like, these are people because of their struggling for their survival. Like they have to handle a hard thing and then go to the next hard thing. Well, see, and that weirdly to that point, that was actually one of the moments that, that felt quite universal to me because it just, yeah. to me, it, it spoke to the nature of, of, trauma in general Mm -hmm. right and so like um one i appreciate you sharing uh, you know about your struggles with depression because i i'm assuming that your audience has probably had you share a bit before but not everybody deals with depression that way not everybody deals with trauma that way you know what i mean and i think one of the really kind of interesting juxtapositions of both of these films is that we see how little you know chiron black deals with his trauma which is to almost either completely ignore it, laugh it off, or beat the shit out of somebody, or try to when they talk about like his mom, or become or, a different person, or become a different person, right? So like, yeah. Yeah. I think we all have coping mechanisms that we deal with, and we also all we're seeing is Daniel in that moment reminiscing with an old friend, yeah. having a slice of it be pulled out because of the vulnerable state that he kind of maybe feels safe in that moment, right? Yeah, yeah. but he also doesn't know Tish. So yeah. there's an element to that where I read that it ne- wasn't he, necessarily like a snapback. It was like 
it, it was a preservation thing again because yeah. he wasn't oh, yeah, going yeah. to it's, open it's up to this new person. It's him having to give off two different personas at the exact yes. same time. Yes. And it's yeah. amazing. Like, that speaks to Barry Jenkins' uh, like direction, too, that he's able to present both personas and then switch between those two personas and with neither just felt a dis- camera and, move. And neither like, felt disingenuous no, to me. No, absolutely. Like, I didn't feel like when he was back to being jovial that he was any less himself. No, no. I actually really liked the way that we're introduced to Daniel and I wrote down the line actually because it's Tish's voiceover and she said time had not improved Daniel because at 28 he was already running out of familiar faces so he he embraced you know Fani on the street and they really took that moment because of the disproportionate um you know uh sort of (laughs) arrest percentages in that community at that time where clearly you could be arrested just for defending your girlfriend in the grocery store if the cop was racist enough like again that to me felt like it was almost like like Fani was like a lighthouse and daniel was out at sea yeah had been out at sea for so long and yeah yeah, he was he was that port that he could just he might not be staying there forever but in that shared connection there was enough of it that it was just enough of a release for him to have that conversation and then when tish walks back in there's also an element i think and and again i will only speak from my own you know dealings with depression and trauma and things like that where you don't necessarily want to put that on everyone yeah if you can find someone to share it with you might not necessarily feel in your own self like okay but i don't need to put that on tish because i don't know her yeah so while he had that familiarity with fani and where there was that shared commonality of, of whatever upbringing that they had had together at a certain point what he was trying to impart my read of this scene of what he was trying to impart was like yeah it's it's worse than you could imagine yeah and while a lot of the VO is from Tish's point, all the VO, right, is from Tish. Yeah. So we almost, in a way, have this, like, God's eye view because she's our narrator, right? She, yeah. she is the, the, the sort of mouthpiece for the author. None of that scene has any VO. It stays yeah. fully on those two characters in a way that we don't really get in other parts of the film we don't really have the characters in other parts of the film acting completely independently because tish has gone that entire scene she went out to get them some food she sets up the scene i wasn't expecting them but i wasn't going to turn him away because clearly he needed to just be with fanny so i went out to get some food and then we don't hear from her again because she's not there so uh, other than her knowing that that daniel was with fanny in their home she has no concept of what that conversation is. And you don't really see that yeah. again until in Puerto Rico when Regina yeah. King's character is talking to the the rape victim. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a really powerful moment, too, because a lot of the film is structurally kind of centered around Tish being our narrator, which, to your yeah. point, is it kind of doesn't matter almost if Lonnie or, or if Fani did or did not do it because what we see is him through the lens of the people that love him and believe in him right yeah. Tish being the number one person because she's even our mouthpiece to the audience mm-hmm. yeah there are these specific scenes where Jenkins takes her away and it's so intentional and that one to me felt so intentional because mm-hmm. probably Tish has no concept of what that conversation was at all and yeah. that was like super powerful to me because until that point hmm. we hear her 
consistently. Even when we see montages of other people because she's like, oh, I know my dad is, you know, what what was the line? It was like, my dad is stealing cold and oh, then yeah. like moving the hot products or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, Joseph coldly stealing, selling the hot goods. Like, yeah. So we, we hear her consistently throughout the film as this narrator, but then there are these moments where she's she's not there at all mm-hmm. and i think yeah. that the, uh, just structurally that was so powerful and i also just want to personally give a shout out to to hey bird sorry my dog's scratching to your dog <laughs> currently but then also to um joy mcmillan who was the editor of this film um along with um nat sanders and that was the same team that edited moonlight okay and joy mcmillan was actually the first black female to ever be nominated for a best editing oscar so also from florida state as is nat sanders <laughs> hey fsu i'm an fsu alumni barry jenkins is like Represent. the most famous like person to come out of florida state probably besides burt reynolds but um <laughs> I just, um, yeah. I really want to like <laughs> single <laughs> single her and Nat out because the structure uh, and the editing that they yeah. do, you can see a lot of, especially watching them back to back, you can see a lot of similarities between oh, Moonlight absolutely. and If Beale Street Could Talk. But thematically the, too, I would say, yeah, yeah, but just like the way that they build that visually and in the edit, I just think is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I just, I don't know, that scene yeah. in particular was probably the hardest for me to. To digest as a person who could not understand that culture or that concept in any way because the worst thing truly that can happen to me when I walk down the street as a a female is that I'm going to worry about being assaulted, right? Like Mm -hmm. heckling, sure. That's not as bad as being physically assaulted. Today, I told you guys earlier, someone yelled to me from across the room while I was at work, I hope you're having twins because I am visibly pregnant and people just feel a great deal of um, ability to just comment on pregnant bodies, which is neither fine nor okay but it is what it is right but as a white you know cisgendered woman the worst thing that's going to happen to me is that i might get assaulted right so there's that general fear of the female experience there are moments in if beale street could talk where you know and the market scene is really important to me because tish not only is trying to physically protect herself from this person who's coming in and verbally assaulting her but then physically tries to push himself on her but then she has to worry about what her protecting her own self might cause cost to not only for for you know Fonny, but even for herself they could have both gotten in trouble just for being black yeah. And trying to defend themselves. The, the one that got across to me a lot was um, the scene at the makeup counter where she's talking oh, about how different so people, oh. how different people uh, like Smell her hand or or. Yeah, like perfume. it's just yeah, like it, it's just such a tangible like expression of how some people like recognize her personhood and don't feel like that they should like move like. And other people don't. Other people see her as an object that they can grab and move and pull the, her hand up to their face. Well, it was mostly white people on. that touched and, her. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's just like, man, I – like in a million years, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Like that that would be a thing. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, man, it just like – it was a gut punch It's That's, when that's I definitely it. a thing. Yeah, I mean, like, again what – What a perspective. Like yeah. as – We never get that as white guys. Like, I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah. Right, like white people in general, like we would not never have had that perspective at all. Yeah, so. I definitely have the barrier of sort of like the, the comparison of white men versus black men because I don't 
for me noticing that you know she was like black cats and that's what she called yeah. them she's yeah. like they would have me spray their hand and bring yeah. it to their nose and she even the 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 writing by james baldwin is so precise yeah. here because she's yeah. like white men bring my flesh to their nose as yeah. if they owned it yeah and that was so specific but as a as a woman i think that that's a universal female experience of of male versus female because um and and what we were seeing right was that the white women also kind of treated her like an object she said the black women didn't even really approach the counter yeah and then you know the white man was like grabbing her as if she was property to be owned you yeah. know and that oh man again i can only speak to the female experience but uh, even as a, a white female there are so many times in my life where even just last week at work i had to deal with somebody while I was at work <laughs> to a coworker of mine saying within earshot, well, she's the best looking staff member we have. Why do you feel any authority or ability or, I don't know, uh, need to comment on me as a person at all? I come here to do my job. Yeah. I come here to do my job. I don't come here to be ogled and not that this matters in any way but i'm also nearly seven months pregnant so for (laughs) someone to then feel even more emboldened and see me as even less of a person and more of a carrier (laughs) or some sort of incubator and 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 less of a person enough to be able to make a comment like that that when later confronted he literally said to my coworker, oh i can't say stuff like that you know you can't you know you can't that then even makes me more angry because there is no recognition of any sort of um you know responsibility on the part of that person because then you're trying to pretend as if you were some sort of child instead of a 50 plus year old white man who very well probably understands his privilege in the world and has always taken it for granted and so it's a really interesting thing to watch these films because it obviously makes me as a white person have a constant self-check of like, wow, this is still an experience that I could never, never understand. But then when you see it through the lens of tissue is our narrator, yeah. there was such a huge part of me, and especially later on through the film when she is pregnant, there's such a huge part of me that that resonated so deeply in me. And all I could think of was like, and if it is that painful for me, how much more could it be for someone yeah. who even more so is objectified because of the color of their skin? Not just because of their anatomy, but even more so yeah. the layer of that. And that just, man, that, that sorry, that was a real big tangent for me. No, that's no. okay. But it was just well, like there have been some things happening and like <laughs> that was really an intense one for me. Well. And I think that, like, uh, we do have to start wrapping it up in a couple minutes You mean we've been talking for a long time? Yeah, we've been talking for a while. But, like, uh, one of the the things that I I would want to point out, though, is that, like, that is one of the things that I love most about cinema is that – and these films in particular – is that for people who can't – live these experiences for ourselves Mm -hmm. and understand them uh they are a chance for somebody who has gone through those experiences and experience and uh you know all 
had the had an upbringing that is different than mine to be able to share with me what their point of view is and share with me what their experiences are so that I can at least in some way have a have a have a hint of what they deal with because otherwise like what would I know of the black experience if if they if I if I was not able to see these films to read books that are about it yeah. um, right like, like we've talked dozens of times about like how uh, we watch foreign films just to get like a glimpse of a different culture this is the exact same thing except it's not a foreign film we're just getting a glimpse of a different culture that it's a lot closer to us kind I of. think that just speaks yeah. to the fact that American cinema needs to become more diverse. way more representative <laughs> of yeah. true America right and yeah. not just white America because yeah. unfortunately what has been mainstream for so long has just been something that most people cannot relate to, I, right? White people can, yeah. but we talk about most people in America. Like, yeah, there are a lot of white people, but there yeah. are a lot of non-white yeah. people in this country. And I mean, yeah. we are getting better. Like, there have been some good improvements, I think, in the last couple of years. Just we just with, need like, more what studios. We're, yeah, well, what we're awarding stuff now. Like, I'm glad to see that Moonlight won a couple of years ago. Like, that's a great step forward for cinema, I feel like. But, <laughs> but there's also but an also element where La La, La, but, but La La Land was also announced as the winner first. Yeah. <laughs> and then Moonlight was, you know what I mean? So there's still an element. Like, I definitely agree yeah. with you that. And there is only there is no. It's a path. Like yes, it's a it constant. Cannot all of a yeah, sudden be. It's it's. There's it's no destination at this on. point. Like it's a constant thing that we're constantly going to have to be moving forward. And I mean, like we're we as a human race are kind of fighting ourselves too. Cause I mean like, look, there's a rise in white nationalism and stuff like that just within the last Ugh. years. And I mean, that sucks. I mean, we need more movies like this that are like, no, we need to break down those barriers. We need to show people that everybody is pretty much the same. Well, we all have universal truths that we can all identify. And the with. way that that happens is by everyone that listens to this podcast or enjoys films. Yeah. Go to these movies on opening weekend. Go see films written yeah. and directed by women on opening weekend. Yeah. Go see films written and directed by non-white filmmakers on opening weekend. Show studios that this is something that you truly care about because if you're just going to wait for it to come on VOD, independent cinema comes on VOD anyway. Yeah. yeah. So like Netflix is always going to be picking up things like that. But what if you really want to see this change, then I, I think we as as conscious cinema goers need to make a conscious effort to be putting our money where where our mouths where are, our mouths are yeah. which is, you know, and this isn't me being like, yeah, no, I, ta- me, but it's I, like, I, ta- I went and saw Moonlight on opening weekend yeah. for oh, this yeah. reason. I saw opening. Well, you know I don't know if it was opening weekend, but I remember seeing and, it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would add to that, actually. <laughs> um, stop seeing movies. Like, like, oh, yes, God, like, like that's <laughs> Wait the thing. to see Marvel movies until they come out on Netflix. You yeah. don't really yeah. need you to, don't see, need to like, see those yeah. on the day of like uh, it's it's funny because we were talking last night at one of our uh, we were watching a movie and uh, we were talking about how when you have all of these other great movies out there, what is the draw? To see the new Marvel movie on opening weekend, or to see the new like big blockbuster Marketing, movie, man. yeah, it is, <laughs> and it, it literally is. If you just stop, like, it's the fear of missing out. People, all right, we gotta like, stop. We gotta stop because I'm about to go down my marketing tangent, <laughs> and if I'm gonna do that, then we're gonna be here all night. So, uh, <laughs> well, go, thank go you. Go see cinema. Is what yeah. I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> see good movies, not bad ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Virginia, thank you so much yeah, for being thanks. here. Thanks uh, for letting me come rant. I was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, do you want to um, plug your podcast and the yeah. things that you, I know that you've got uh, programs that you do at Fountain Street Church, uh, like on 
uh, like you said that you were doing, you just finished up with a, um, like a viewing like thing on shrill, like you called it like a book club for movies. So it's our summer screen club is what we're calling it. Although we will hopefully use the summer as a test and then continuing on into the fall. Um, but once a month we are meeting, uh, at Fountain Street Church in uh, partnership with Community Media Center of Grand Rapids, who is our mm-hmm. media partner for this entire series. And um, each month we are looking at a different uh, TV show. So last month we did Shrill. Um, our nonprofit partner for that was Better Body Image Conference, which is a West Michigan-based nonprofit that focuses on um, body positivity and sort of the pushing back on these like accepted norms of of beauty standards um and so yeah it was great we had lydia van hoven cook who also was one of the founders of the grand rapids feminist film festival um and is on the board of better body image conference so she was there and um that will actually be releasing as a future episode of the podcast that i host and produce for fountain street church called listening at the fire um you can find that at fountainstreet.org slash podcast or on all of your favorite podcast apps if you just search for that (laughs) Um, but yeah, in July, um, I'm not sure when this is releasing. So July will Friday. be, oh, right. <laughs> uh, July 18th, we'll be doing, um, our summer screen club for the handmaid's tale. Planned Parenthood of Michigan is actually our nonprofit sponsor for that. And we will have Shirley Clemens Griffin, who is the co-founder of the thriller chiller film festival, hey. rounding out our panel with Sarah Vesely, who's the director oh. of wealthy theater and then in august both of those lovely panelists will be back again to discuss the final season of orange is the new black which is releasing in july on netflix nice so those will also be released as podcasts so if you're listening to this and you do not live in michigan or cannot make it out to any of these events don't worry i'll be putting that content out and actually grtv is going to be um they filmed and will be uh, rebroadcasting all three of the Summer Screen oh, cool. Club um, video, basically, versions yeah. of that on GRTV. So as soon as I have any broadcasting stuff, basically just follow Follow Street or Fountain <laughs> Street Church. And, you know, I'll be posting it because, like, I, I do all the social media. So your girl handles all the Instagram and stuff. So nice. you'll know. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, thanks again for coming. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Oh, yeah. Well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is that is going to pretty much do it for us this week. Uh, after all, it was a longer conversation, so we're not going to really get into a rundown. We were going to talk about uh, the sculpting um, in time, sculpting in time book club thing uh, that we're going to be doing, but uh, just because of how long this episode is, we figured we would just uh, um, push that to next week. And we'll talk about it because uh, I think we've got a couple of um, kind of flex weeks where we had a little less planned. So um, there will be plenty of time for it next week. So we'll be going over the introduction and chapter one of Sculpting in Time next week on the show. And also Spider-Man. And Spider-Man. Because, oh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, Seth just saw that. I haven't gotten to it yet, but um, we're hoping to have a pretty lively discussion about Spider-Man, our our favorite uh, webhead superhero. So, Woot. Uh, yeah, well, that's going to do it for this us this week. So uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, like and comment. Share our posts. For hundreds of movie reviews from a spiritual and cinephile perspective, visit truemythmedia.com. And we will say farewell, friends. Peace. Peace.